0: Okay. Good morning, folks. We're going to go ahead and get started, which is now going to be a multi-Sunday series because we started late. (laughs) Okay. And Nate is recording this, so if you ever want to look at it again or share it with anybody that didn't make it on time, I'll also share the slides. I'll put those on the... uh, the men's chat and Jennifer forwarded to the uh, the women's chat. So if you guys want the PowerPoint slides, you can get those. So today's topic is about personal finance. Um, I'm going to share the lessons that I've accumulated, a little bit of wisdom and some advice, um, primarily targeted the I guess the early career. Uh, younger generations, but hopefully a, little, a few pearls of wisdom also for for everybody here on how to run your finances in a biblical way. Um, so, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Mark Mark I've Been coming to PBC since a year and some ago. Jennifer, my wife, Matthew, our older son, and James, you guys, most of you know, used to play the piano here. Um, one of the trustees of the church. I'm also the treasurer for PBC, which means I run the church finances. Um, so I've learned a lot about nonprofit financial stuff, which is kind of interesting, uh, but mainly manage all of our giving and tithing, um, run the bank accounts for the church, and our main expense is paying our pastor. So I manage all of that, uh, payroll, uh, health coverage, retirement, all that stuff for Andy um, so that he and Emma can live in New York. And therefore, I'm going to give you a perspective on um, personal finances, but also um, business finances, and to see your life actually as running a company called U, Inc. Um, It's no different. Right, you have the same elements that a company has, and you can't run at a loss too long, otherwise you go out of business. Um, so I'll share with you some of those some of those concepts, and also weave in there um, the church finances because tithing is an integral part of how a church runs, but also an integral part of being a Christian. Um, and I'm also probably the oldest person here, so I probably have the most accumulated mistakes that I'm going to share with you so you can avoid them. You can make new mistakes. You're welcome to do all that. But please avoid all the mistakes that I made. Um, And in particular, the one around time. The younger generation here, you have time as your greatest asset. And when it comes to financials, time is something that pays dividends. When you're 40, 50 years away from retiring, use that. That's the most powerful thing you have in your hands is time ahead of you. So biblical importance of money. And the money can be everything from, you know, working, earning, saving, spending, we'll talk about that, tithing, taxes, which we owe, stewardship of the gifts and the money that you have or that you might inherit, providing to others, generosity for others, planning, parenting, some of you are going to be parents soon, Um, some of you will eventually be parents, some of you are already parents, Um, taking care of parents, something you probably want to start to think about, depending on how old your parents are. Your own health, um, preventing bad things from happening, anticipating college, which we know costs an arm and a leg in this country for most colleges, investing, retiring. Finances covers all of this. And we're going to touch a little bit on each one of these topics. Um, also, oh, the slide's a little too big, but at the, at the bottom here, it says also, it's also about enjoying and having fun. For some reason, that slide cut off there, but <laughs> maybe that's telling, <laughs> cut off. It says here on my slide, enjoying life and having fun. We'll talk about that part. That's actually very funny. So I'm going to start off with some biblical principles to kind of ground us in what does the Bible say around money, money management, running our own financials. I'm going to share um, two, two sources of wisdom. One is my father-in-law, so Jennifer's dad, who worked on Wall Street for about 30 years, and he taught me a lot of things early on when we first moved to the United, back to the United States in 1993, and things about you know 401ks, IRAs, mutual funds, things that I just didn't know because I had grown up in France and those things don't exist in France, and those things have paid dividends um, 30 years later, and I want to share some of that, but I also want to share the mistakes that I made um, so that you can avoid them. And then some common sense um, that hopefully through a biblical lens, a Christian lens, but also just thinking about what do you want to do with money and how do you want to run your life uh, and the money side of of your life, Um, hopefully some common sense principles on things to do and things to try to avoid. So this will now be a probably two or three-part series, given uh, how many slides I have. Um, and I think Andy's delighted to hear that it might be a two or three-part series, so it gives him a few Sundays off for uh, Sunday school. So um, feel free to ask questions. It will depend on how many questions you have. I'm going to try and stop at each chunk for you guys to ask me questions uh, about what uh, what I'm covering here. And oh, and I am happy to spend time one-on-one, either if you're shy or don't know what question to ask please don't hesitate. Some of you have already done that with me and said, hey, Mark, can we talk about everything from resumes to interviewing to cover letters to how do I run financials? How do I get out of this situation? Don't hesitate either through the, uh, the WhatsApp chat or just catch me here at church or drop me an email. Uh, I will make myself available to be a sounding board to give you advice. Um, so do not hesitate. Speaking of advice, disclaimer, <laughs> this is the legal part so I don't get in trouble. Um, I am not a financial professional. I work in kind of the finance industry in the PE front, um, but I'm not a tax advisor. Um, what I tell you here, you know, results may vary. Um, I know Eric knows that being in the in the finance industry or Alex. Um, just because things worked in the past doesn't mean they will necessarily work in the future and tax laws change and retirement rules change, right? Virtually every new um, administration comes in and changes something around taxes, around retirement, about what's deductible. So what I tell you now is prob- may not be applicable in a few years, uh, may not be applicable 40, 50 years from now when you retire. But for the moment, a lot of these things are applicable. So biblical grounding in money and your personal finances. Think of you as a company. You are a company that has the same thing as Coca-Cola, Apple, Morgan Stanley, whatever. Treat your finances as if you were a business. A business has something called a P&L, a profit and loss statement, which means do they make money or lose money, right? They sell stuff, they make money, they have expenses, and if they make more money than what they spend, they have a profit. If they don't make enough money, spend too much, they lose money. You are no different. You have an income and expenses. You have your own personal P&L, and if you don't know what that looks like, you're flying blind. If you don't know what your income looks like and what your expenses look like on a monthly, annual basis, if you don't know what your taxes are, you are flying blind. Therefore, you are at risk of losing money. Right? And how can you plan without a roadmap? So you're no different than a company. You need to have an income statement, a P&L statement. Companies have what's called a balance sheet. This is where they have their assets, so things they own that are worth something, and liabilities, debt, usually. You are no different. You may own a house, a car, other goods. You may have savings, cash, stock. You also may owe money, credit cards, student debt, mortgage. You are no different than a company. You have a balance sheet. You need to know what assets you have, and you have to accumulate assets, and try and minimize liabilities, pay down debt, or have good liabilities. And I'll talk about what good debt is versus bad debt. And finally, every company has a cash flow statement. And cash flow is basically how much cash do you actually have on hand versus what you owe and what's coming in. And if you think of it in like a personal um, lens, it's your lifestyle What's your burn rate? Are you spending too much money? Are you spending money on things that you honestly can't afford? Is the money flowing in actually not enough to keep up with all your expenses and your lifestyle? That's kind of a real-time snapshot of the burn rate of the cash that you have. So the parallel for me is you are a company. And if you don't think of your life, of your financials as a company, you're missing the point. You have to run your life seriously like a company is. Now, I know some of this sounds like financial jargon. For those of you who are in the financial industry, you're like, oh, yeah, we know this stuff, income statements, you know, balance sheet, um, cash flow. But life is no different. And it was true 2,000 years ago. It's true today, and it will be true 50 years from now. Even with cryptocurrency, this stuff still is true. So I will be going through each one of these topics. I'll start off before that with some biblical principles. um, But we're going to go through a full kind of P&L, profit and loss statement. What is income? How do you get income? Tithing, which is pretty high up on the list. You can't tithe if you don't have income. But it should be number two in the list. Once you make something, what do you give to God? And for those of you who are here, you remember my talk several months ago. That's the first responsibility we have as Christians, is when you make money, you give back to God. And then you have your expenses, the good expenses, the frivolous ones, and the really bad expenses. We'll talk about those. Debt, good, neutral, bad debt. Taxes, inevitable, but you are legally allowed to try and avoid them and minimize them. We'll talk about that. Savings, because if you aren't saving, at some point you're going to run out, and eventually you have to retire. For many of you, it's decades away, but better to start planning now. And you also want to have fun. You want to be able to enjoy life, particularly in a city like New York City, outrageously expensive, but also a lot of fun things to do. So you need to balance this whole income statement here so you have enough money to enjoy life. So that's what we'll talk about. But first, let's start off with some biblical principles about money. The word money is mentioned 140 times in the Bible. And actually over 800 times if you include all the other kind of peripheral words associated with money. So gold, silver, wealth, riches, inheritance, debt, poverty, um, and other kind of related financial topics. So it's pretty high up there on the list of things. It actually turns out that the Bible pays um, a great deal of attention to financial matters. More so than just about any other subject. And in fact, if you look at how many verses there are, there are about 500 verses that cover the topic of prayer and faith. Over 2,000 verses on money. 40% of Jesus' parables deal with money. Probably surprising statistics, right? So clearly God has something to say about money and wealth. So an important topic that's in the Bible. So just to scale, it's talked about more than prayer and faith. So I talked about almost half of Jesus' parables being about money. It's one of the most talked about topics in the Bible. Why is that? So when you think of it, the Bible isn't just you know 2,000 plus year old stories, um, but it's also packed with a lot of truth and revelation that are relevant to your everyday life and applicable, even things that were written 2,000, 3,000 thousands of years ago, are applicable here in 2021. And if you look at the Bible, and I'll mention a few passages here, you'll see that it gives you insight on many of our human daily tasks around relationships, work, character, and yes, finances. It tells you how to run your money. And actually, there's a huge emphasis on the handling of money. And you're going to hear people who have money, who invest money, who spend money, who steal money, who borrow money. All of those scenarios are actually in the Bible, very prevalent. And this is the way I look at it when I read the passages. Um, God really wants to give us a relevant guide to how to live every day. And money is an integral part of living every day. You can't live without it. Society is constructed around it. And God doesn't want to leave us flying blind, right? Right? The Bible here is to give us lessons on how to run money because it's an important societal topic. It's, an, it's how we behave and live in society. And how do you figure out principles around money? Well, you can refer back to the Bible, it's one of the best financial guides there is out there. It doesn't tell you which stock to buy, but it does tell you to save. And the, the principle here is not just about you know, making money for yourself, managing your money. It's also what you do with your money. How do you honor and glorify God and have your money benefit your life and be a reflection of your faith? So it is not just for your own benefit, but you should always think of your money, your investments, what you do, how you steward your own money as a way to glorify God. So Jesus spoke quite a bit about money, financial management. Um, you can see King Solomon did quite a bit also on how to handle money, how to invest. And virtually every single topic you'll see is covered in the Bible. You'll get these slides, but this is just a, a short sampling of all the verses that I could find you know, that talk about money, about investing, about stealing, about borrowing, about interest, about compound interest. It's all in there. Right? And we all know a few of these. You know, we, we've all heard of the, um, the talents as, as an obvious one, but there are many, many uh, biblical quotes that you can find that talk about money. This one, of course, is probably one of the most famous ones in Matthew, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, and how you manage treasure, how you manage your money will tell you basically where your heart is. And that's uh, really the lens I want us to think about when we think about our financials. Jesus spoke, almost half of his parables were about money, not because he was obsessed about it, not because he wanted us to have a ton of it, but because Jesus knew that money was a heart issue, not a financial issue. It's about where your heart is. And money all too often will be one of the main causes why we reject Jesus, walk away from him, or we find him too difficult to follow. It's also one of the leading causes of divorce, is money. money or strain between children and parents. Money can get in the way. So settling where your heart is on money matters will help you see money through the appropriate biblical lens. Now, money is important, um, but think of the money that you have in your pocket, those bills, those coins. They don't actually have any intrinsic value. They don't have any value. It's a piece of paper. It's a piece of metal, right? Right. It's worth whatever the government says it's worth, right? We're actually off the gold standard since 1972, I think, um, which means, there's a, you know, yeah, it's kind of backed by gold bullion that's sitting in Fort Knox, but technically it's just guaranteed by the credibility of the U.S. government. And in some countries, the governments devalue their currency, Um, which used to be rampant in Europe. The Italian lira would every so often just add a couple zeros. Um, Latin America, um, Argentina in particular, um, they just devalue the money constantly. Um, Basically, it tells you it doesn't have value other than whatever the government says. So the, the, the dollar bills in your pocket, the coins, morally don't have any bias one way or another. It's just a means of transaction right it's just a tool and instrument that we use before we used you know coins we used shells we used other methods of currency It's just a representation of the way to exchange value in society so morally it's neutral right The money in your pocket is not evil it's not good it's just a tool now where it becomes um, potentially dangerous is that Money is a great weapon that the devil can use, and he can seduce us through money and pull us in a negative direction. Um, Clearly, he wants you to fall in love with it, wants you to become a slave to money rather than mastering your money. And we can all think of people, TV shows, personal situations where we get addicted to it, we're jealous because of it, we lose friends because of it. All kinds of issues that are because the devil uses money as a fantastic tool to disseminate hate and evil. The flip side is when you use money with a good intent to invest in God's kingdom, it can actually be an instrument for good tithing is an obvious example of that, but what you do with your money, how you invest it, how you steward the gifts that are given to you, how you share that with others, is clearly an instrument for good. But think of money as that powerful a tool. It can be used for evil, it can be used for good. Money in and of itself is neutral. And if you think of the money you have, how you behave with it, is really how the, what the outcome will be. If you think through the principles that I'm sharing here and some of the details on the financials, how you think about your money will tell you a lot about kind of the, the morals, the Christian faith that you are putting behind this tool. And therefore, how you manage your money, I believe, is actually a reflection of your faith and of your spiritual health. And if you aren't using your money wisely, you aren't necessarily being healthy spiritually. So think of this, when you hoard money, when you're envious of other people's money, when you spend money you don't have, that's called debt, there's a pretty good chance that you've been seduced by the devil. And I know we've talked about demons, we've talked about powers of evil. This is what happens when you don't manage your money through a godly lens. And you all know this quote, you can't serve two gods, right? Are you using money for the purpose of God or is money being used for your own selfish purposes? So every time you spend that extra 10 bucks on that triple soy latte, frappuccino, whatever, is that the best usage of your money? Not that you can't enjoy those occasionally, not that I'm pointing out anybody in particular here. <laughs> no, not you, Anise. No, clearly. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna now we're gonna switch into some of the, uh, the the financials. So we're gonna talk about income, tithing, expenses, debt, taxes, savings, retirement, and having fun. So, income. There are a couple of topics around income. There's what we call active income and passive income. We'll dive into that. Tithing, 10% is the biblical principle. Is that pre-tax or post-tax? I talked about that at my talk a few months ago. I'll dive into that a little bit more and show you actually what that looks like. How much money goes to the church? How much money stays in your pocket? How much money goes to Uncle Sam, the IRS? We'll talk about expenses. Expenses are, in some cases, inevitable. You have some obligations. You have to pay down like a mortgage. If you don't pay your mortgage, you lose the home, right? And your credit score goes down. You have some needs, right? You have to put a roof over your head, food on the table. And then you have some wants. You want to have fun or have that triple soy latte frappuccino thing. Grande, whatever. Uh, grande is the small one, right? That's the medium one? I still don't understand. Debt. There's good debt. A mortgage can be good debt. Can be. First of all, it allows you to buy a house or an apartment. And if you have the appropriate mortgage, you can pay it off over time. Right? And hopefully the property you buy grows in value over time. So we actually make money. So it's a good investment. It's a leveraged investment. There are bad mortgages too, when you're in over your head. But in general, a mortgage, the American dream is owning a home, owning an apartment. A mortgage usually is a good part of debt. Neutral debt, student debt. If you get a degree that eventually leads to a job, that's probably good student debt. Right? If you get a degree that leads to no job, probably not good student debt because you'll never be able to pay it off. If you embark on a career that is going to get you up to here in debt and it's going to take you 40 years to pay it back, probably not the right career choice. Right? So you have to look at student debt as neutral, but it can go either way depending on career, what um, vocation you choose, and what earning potential you have. And student debt is a massive issue here in the United States. It's probably the, the only country in the world that has that big of an issue around student debt. People that are still in debt at age 40, 50, because they're still paying off you know, medical school or whatever, um, which is insane. And for those of you who are having kids, already have kids, planning on having kids, I will talk about how do you plan for college. Because you don't know yet what your kid is going to want to do, but you can assume, safely assume, that college is going to cost two arms and two legs, as opposed to one arm and one leg today. Right? Private universities in the United States are between fifty and seventy thousand dollars a year, tuition. Right? So depending on what schools they want, and even if you're in California and you go to one of the um, UC campuses, it's still going to cost you fifteen for in-state tuition per year. And then there's bad debt, credit card debt high interest debt, living above your means, owing money, exorbitant interest rates, and that's stuff you want to get rid of fast. Or just owing money to friends or family, right, and never paying it back. Taxes. You are legally allowed to actively minimize, avoid, pay as little as necessary, Um, and we'll talk about how to do that. There's actually a Supreme Court ruling on that, it is absolutely within your rights, and I would, I would even say it's your obligation to try and minimize your taxes. That's not a bad thing. Right? It's not cheating. There's a tax code, an insanely long tax code. Take advantage of it, and there are ways to avoid paying taxes. Um, you should still pay what you owe, but if you can minimize it, that's not a bad thing. We'll talk about savings pre- and post-tax savings. There are different ways to optimize things, leading to retirement. For those of you who have a 30-, 40-, 50-year runway ahead of you, you have the greatest benefit that you have ahead of you is time. And I'll talk about compounding, long-term compounding. One of the most powerful forces in financials is compounding interest over time. And then we'll talk about fun, um, enjoying, but also learning how to delay gratification how to enjoy things later, save up for an even better vacation, save up for whatever, that purse, that pair of shoes, that whatever that you wanted to buy. So these are the topics that I'm going to go through one by one. Let's talk about the top of the p and income. Income is hard work, and as Andy mentioned to me earlier, that's not because of the fall, it's not, we're not condemned. Working hard is biblical, working hard is what we are called to do what we were designed to do and therefore the the fruit of our labor is our income right so we should all aspire to work we should find a job that produces income decent income right now I know that's easier said than done but that is your first calling you don't have a personal p l profit and loss statement if you don't have the top of the p l You need income. You need a job. It can be small jobs, part time jobs, but you need to start getting a job so you have income. And that can be when I was a kid, I had a paper route. Those probably don't exist anymore. Um, But I would distribute the physical newspaper to the houses around my neighborhood at five in the morning in Toronto. And people would pay me, and I would then pay the newspaper, their due, and whatever was left over, including tips, that was my money. And this is in the 70s. Yeah, I'm was in the '70s. Um, and <laughs> I used to make about 100 dollars Canadian that was in Toronto, a month. I was the richest kid in the universe with 100 Canadian dollars in my pocket every month. And I would go around, when I would collect the money, I would also, in the winter, do the upsell I'd propose to shovel the snow off their driveway for 20 bucks. And that worked occasionally. So I was making, you know amazing money at age like 10. And, that, and I realized the power of income. Is I could buy stuff for myself, I could buy presents for my parents, for my little sister, I could save money, even with a hundred bucks. So I encourage you for those of you who have kids, start whenever they can do, you know, little jobs, whether it's allowances, whatever it is the principle of income, right? If you can start to get internships, summer jobs, part-time jobs, right? Get a job. That's the first thing you need to do. And it's biblical to work, it's biblical to work hard. It is actually not biblical to slack off, right? Sloth is a sin. You need to work. And the good news is God will reward hard work. God will bless you with income. He will bless you with intellectual stimulation and bless you with all kinds of wonderful things when you work hard. And if you continue to work hard throughout your working years, that strong work ethic will pay dividends, right? But it's a long race. For those of you who are early in your career, or just about to start your career, or a few years away from beginning your career, your work life is at least 40 years, right? You're going to start working in your early 20s and retire in your mid-60s, maybe by then it'll be late 60s, early 70s, right? That's... 40, 50 years of working. So it's a big choice, big obligation, but can be also a great source of joy and is the only source of income unless you happen to be born in some outrageously wealthy family and you have a trust fund. But most people aren't born into that, and even if they were, I wouldn't say they'd be necessarily happy without work. But the key thing is sloth is a sin. If you don't have a job, if you aren't working, if you aren't actively looking for a job... Making sure that's not overflowing. Yeah. No, it's fine. It's kind of... No, it's fine. Yeah? So, what do you want me to do? Oh, don't worry about it. Okay. Okay, I have to speak. More water is coming through the faucet. Okay. Now, I'll talk about different types of income. Active income. Active income is when you have a full-time job and a salary, right? Or you have a part-time job, right? Or you do occasional work or occasional gigs, right? That's active. It's you doing something, producing value, and that you get paid and rewarded for that. And it doesn't really matter which of these three you do, as long as you're doing one of them, right? Right? and enough to actually bring in real income. Some of you are in, you know, Broadway musical theater, great. Some of you have full-time jobs, some of you have multiple part-time jobs. That's fine. The what it is doesn't matter as long as you are actively looking for a source of income. But you have to get a job. Now, I can help you if you're looking for, you know, resume help, interview help, cover letter help, more than happy to help. I've already done that with a number of you. Um, I've been doing it for a long time. Uh, my approach to it, whether it's good or bad, I don't know, but at least I can be a sounding board. So we'll talk about that. But if you need help and advice on finding a job, finding income, you have to talk to you know, your fellow Christian brothers and sisters here, but also come and talk to me if I can be a particular assistance there. This is one of the best economies, has been for a while, but even post-COVID, probably one of the best economies to be looking for a job. Even though unemployment is high, there are actually more job openings than there are unemployed people right now in the United States. Now, there may be a mismatch between what jobs and what industries and what people's qualifications are. There was also quite a bit of government subsidies probably in sending people to stay at home. Those just expired this weekend. Um, The extra 300 bucks or whatever it was a week. Um, So for the most part, I think people are going to be back looking for jobs. And you see more help-wanted job openings in virtually every single industry. And as hospitality, travel, all that stuff comes back, a lot of those jobs um, will come back and be open. There are plenty of jobs out there. Right? This is not the worst economy, on the contrary, one of the best economies to be looking for a job. Um, and I can't think of virtually any industry that isn't hiring right now. There's actually a war on, for talent in most industries, um, which is a good thing. If you are the talent, they're going to come after you. They will pay more. Salaries are going up, um, which is bad news for companies, but good news for employees, potential employees. New York City is particularly um, good job market and across virtually any, any industry you can think of. So you are not in the worst place on earth. You're not in the worst economy on earth. On the contrary, this is a great time to be looking for a job and a great place to be looking for a job. So what do you need? You need your resume. Call the CV. Call the resume. Um, you need to have that document up to date. If you don't, work on that this afternoon. And I'm serious. If you don't have your resume, you don't have a story. If you don't have a LinkedIn profile up to date, you don't have an online story. Now, for those of you who don't know what LinkedIn is, that's a problem. (laughs) Please spend more time on LinkedIn than on any other social media, okay? Because Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat will not get you a job. It'll get you lots of follows and likes, but will not lead to income unless you're I don't know, Britney Spears or somebody like that. Maybe there's income there. Yes, Josh? Yeah. Yeah. So, CV and resume, the, the two words I find are interchangeable. Um, CV is curriculum vitae, with Latin, um, for the, curso, the course of your life. And resume is a French word which means summary. Um, I'm a big fan of the one pager but I have the luxury of being able to squeeze everything into one page. I have a three or four page version that has a lot more detail. Um, I think it's a balance. If you, if you try and create too much fluff and have a four page when basically you've done nothing so far in your life career-wise it's you're stretching and if you've done a lot and try and squeeze it all into one page it might be too dense. So the average is two. I think two pages is good There are different sections, you know, what education you've had, what jobs you've had, what your hobbies and interests are, what languages you speak. Um, There are different ways of, you know, producing a resume. Uh, I've edited a few resumes of folks here. I'm more than happy to share mine, um, you know, for what it's worth. But two is a good number. Three or four. I mean, I'll tell you the way I look at resumes. So I get a lot of resumes sent to me to consider. I spend on average less than 10 seconds on a resume, and you'll say, wow, that's harsh. No, it's just because I get too many of them. And if a resume doesn't pop, right, it's just one more generic black and white Times Roman 14 font resume, which is boring, right? The resume needs to pop. It's your ad, right? It's your pop-up ad on the website. It says, check me out, right? That's what the resume is there for. The resume is not there to tell your entire life story. The resume's goal is to get the phone call. The resume's goal is to get the first interview. The resume's goal is not to tell your entire life story in excruciating detail. Right? The resume's goal is also not to be boring. The resume's goal is to pop. So whether it's color, font, format, make it stand out. Because when I get a resume, I look at the name, I look at the education, the current job, and if they have any funky hobbies like skydiving. Right? I spend 10 seconds but I don't have time to read through everything. If it pops, if it intrigues me, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I want to talk to this candidate. I want to bring him in and learn more about this, you know, violin playing while skydiving. That sounds really cool, right? Or, wow, they went to the same school as somebody I know. Or, wow, that company they're working for, I've always wanted to talk to somebody who worked at, you know, Tesla, whatever. So, the resume is important. Um, don't tell your life story. Don't make it too short. It's, an, it's a piece of advertising to get that call. Yep, Eric. I'd say the um, imbalance in terms of job openings and talent available, yeah, I think it's here for a little while, uh, given what I'm seeing um, in, in the industries that I'm in. Um, but the, my, my, if I step back, my, my answer is actually it doesn't matter. I don't think if you have the right skills, right attitude, the right tenacity, I don't think the job market, the economy is as big a factor because companies are still hiring, they may be firing more. But there are certain industries that are hiring no matter what the economic headwinds are. So I think the mindset has to be, you know, here's what I bring to the table. Here are the industries that are, want my skill set. I'm going to go get a job. And blame, you know, the excuse of saying, oh, it's the economy, it's unemployment, et cetera. I think that's slothfulness because I think you can always find a job, right? And I think that needs to be your mentality. And you know, God answers prayer. And if you put the right foot forward and say, I'm gonna look at this as a challenge, right? You'll find a job and you'll find income. But the you know, woes me, the economy is terrible, the sky's falling. Uh, that's, I, I think that's lazy. Now, if you need a pep talk, I mean, I'm more than happy to do that. When, if, in three or four years, if the economy craters, come and talk to me. But I, that's been my attitude, my mentality, is don't use any of that as an excuse, right? There are jobs out there. And worst case, you start at your own company entrepreneurship is the best way to create a job is you start your own company, which is scary, challenging, et cetera, but can be very fulfilling, right? You start your own business in your home. You start your own business with a college buddy um, or with your spouse. There are plenty of opportunities. And if anything, this, this country is known for its you know, job creativity. So a good point. 1025. Yep. 1025. Um, yes. Emma. I mean, there's the obvious hot things like um, you know coding, uh, data scientists. Uh, those are kind of obvious sectors that are very hot right now. I'd say almost any degree there's applicability, whether it's you know, academia, which is kind of a natural outlet for some esoteric topics. Um, but I'd say almost anything can be turned into a job. You just have to consider that when you choose the, the subject. Finance is obviously very hot, but there's a lot of competition. Right? Um, So you have to kind of balance the two. Um, Business is very versatile. You get an MBA, you get a business degree. um, You can pretty much apply that to any company, right? Um, You learn a language, well, you can apply that to anything from teaching to translating to writing to journalism to diplomacy to, right? Um, So I I think just about any, um, any choice you make can be turned into a job. You just have to think about it. And being thoughtful, what are the possible job outcomes and what's the earning potential of those job outcomes, right? Academia is a lovely – both my parents were teachers, right? And Jennifer's a teacher. They're wonderful callings and you impact the lives of more people than just about any other profession out there. Academia is a tough slog when it comes to income. Very flexible because you work a school year um, and it can be very um, rewarding because you see kids or college kids learn and, and grow but teachers aren't very well paid, general. So it's a choice, right? You have to look at what are the what's the earning potential, what's the job flexibility that this or that choice in college or this or that degree will give you. Um, I, I can't think of any like bad degree. I mean, there, there are some probably obvious ones that literally lead nowhere. Um, I can think of a few, but. You know, you, but you have to go through the mental kind of exercise of what are the possible outcomes of this or what could lead me to, I don't know, if you want to be a lawyer, right? There's there's pre-law sometimes in college, but usually there isn't, right? Usually you go to college and you get a liberal arts education, but what are the topics in college that could be applicable to become a lawyer, right? Or business. Well, you could take, you know, finance or accounting or whatever in, in undergrad and then decide you want to go get an MBA, um, If you want to learn romance languages, you know, Spanish, French, Italian, what does that lead to? That could be everything from teaching to writing to tourism and hospitality, um, all all kinds of, uh, or diplomacy, right? All kinds of things you can do. So here again, that's something more than happy to chat with you about, but you have to consciously choose um, that path and think about it, you know, in like five, 10 year horizon. you, You may not know what you do when you're 50, but you can at least think through what are the next 10 years. So I'm going to wrap up here with this last comment, and then we'll, I guess we'll have series two next, section two next Sunday. Um, Take job searching seriously. It is a full-time job to look for a job. And I mean that. It's not a, oh, I'm going to, you know, update my resume for the next three weeks, and then maybe send out a couple copies of my resume. No, it's get your resume done, send out 20 to 25 resumes a day, four weeks a month. So you're sending out hundreds of resumes. It's interviewing. It's reaching out. It's connecting on LinkedIn. It's using all the network, the connections you have from school, college, parents. It's a full-time job to get a job. So back to the slothfulness. You know, If you're slothful, you will not get a job. But if you take it seriously, you'll find the job or jobs. And then you have income, which is the beginning of financial responsibility is actually having money coming in. So next week we'll finish income and actually I'll just highlight this for this here. Use me, send me a note, find me after church. I can be a resource, hopefully a sounding board, a coach, an advisor on those parts right there. Send me your resume. If you don't know what LinkedIn is, I'll show you. You guys can show me Instagram and Snapchat and all the other (laughs) stuff that I don't know. Um, If you want to do mock interviews, use me. I've been doing this for a long time. I do a lot of mentoring around this. Some people in the congregation have used me for this, but I'm a resource. So don't hesitate, right? There's no shame. There's no embarrassment to say, hey, I don't even have a resume. Where do I start? More than happy to sit down with you. Okay, so we'll continue next Sunday. Thank you.